chapter eight of the ladies mile this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the ladies mile by mary elizabeth braddon chapter eight the dowager's little dinner lady cecil was both surprised and annoyed when the dowager announced mr o'boyneville as one of the guests at her next little dinner how could you ask that dreadful man auntie she said because the dreadful man is a very distinguished person in the law and as mr horley the indian judge dines with us next wednesday i thought i could not do better than ask this irish barrister i know those lawyer people like to meet one another though goodness knows with salmon at half a crown a pound and ducklings at eight shillings a pair i ought not to involve myself in the expense of dinner parties cecil shrugged her shoulders ever so slightly as she seated herself at her piano after this little discussion it mattered so little to her who came to her aunt's dinner parties imagine the indifference of lucy ashton as to the guests who partook of the lord keeper's ponderous banquets during that dreary interval in which ravenswood was away but poor cecil obeyed her aunt's orders and did battle with the poulterer for a reduction in the price of his ducklings and went through all manner of intricate calculations as to the difference between the expense of lobster cutlets and fricando or oyster patties and chicken resoles i think spixen makes his lobster cutlets smaller than ever this year said mrs mcclaverhouse as she looked over the confectioner's list of made dishes and as to his fricandos i am always on tender hooks for fear they shouldn't go decently round the table and i can't get that man peters to calculate his spoonfuls and if he's weak enough to let people help themselves there's sure to be unfairness about the truffles though what any one can admire in truffles is one of the mysteries i have never been able to fathom as to dessert cecil i shall take the carriage into the city to-morrow morning and get what i want for i have no notion of paying eightpence apiece in covent garden for peaches that i can get in tim street for thruppence on the appointed evening cecil was the first to enter the drawing-room for the dowager had taken a siesta after luncheon and was late at her toilette dressed in some transparent fabric of pale blue with a fluttering knot of ribbon here and there and a turquoise cross upon her neck lady cecil looked very elegant very pretty with that delicate loveliness which so rarely kindled into brilliancy with that patrician calm which so seldom warmed into animation she looked at the clock on the chimney-piece as she took a book from a cabinet where a few of her aunt's choicest volumes were ranged on alternate shelves with china teacups and quaint old oriental monsters only seven and the people are asked for half-past which always means eight she thought as she sank listlessly into a low chair near the open window she opened her book and tried to read it was a volume of shelley and the dreamy mysticism of the verse soothed her with its magic harmony the shadows of her life had been fading gradually away from her within the last few months but no sunshine had succeeded the darkness she was too gentle and womanly to be cynical 
but an indifference to everything on earth an indifference almost as profound as the dreary ennui of hamlet had come down upon her and yet she went to parties and danced quadrilles and even waltzed on occasions to dance and to make merry while the ruthless serpent gnaws at the heart is no new pastime there is something pathetic in the simplicity with which lucy aiken tells us how the great elizabeth went to a festival while her favourite her benjamin of favourites the brilliant essex languished under the burden of her dread displeasure while the imperious spirit of the ruler was at war with the woman's doting heart and the most terrible struggle of her life was going forward there was dancing at my lord cobham's that night and a mask performed by women and one of these ladies wooed the queen to dance who are you asked the sovereign my name is affection returned the masker affection said the queen is false and yet she danced remarks the historian with unconscious pathos it was only ten minutes after seven and cecil was quite absorbed in the pages of alister when the door was flung open with the stately swing peculiar to the accomplished dairyman who did duty as butler on the dowager's reception days and the accomplished dairyman announced with perfect distinctness mr o boyneville accomplished as the dairyman was he might have made a mess of any other name but the great barrister's appellation was familiar in his ear as household words and he had many household words with his better half when the propensity for strong drinks contracted in the riotous days of his butlerhood beguiled him from the domestic shelter he knew mr o'boyneville and had sat on juries in the courts where that gentleman was mighty and had been cajoled by the irishman's insidious eloquence and slapdash mode of argument he had laughed over mr o'boyneville's speeches and cross-examinations recorded in the newspapers and he ushered the barrister into the little drawing-room in dorset square with all the respect due to so brilliant a luminary cecil was very much annoyed by the irishman's early arrival but he was her aunt's guest and she was bound to receive him courteously she laid aside her book and made the barrister a curtsey and the brilliant o'boyneville the man with whom cool impudence often rose to the level of genius that luminary before whom the lesser lights of the bar waxed faint and pale how did his familiarity with feminine psychology as exhibited in the witness-box serve him in the dowager's drawing-room alas for hibernian wit and hibernian audacity for mr o'boyneville could think of no more interesting subject of remark at this moment than the fact that the day had been warm and a warm day in the last week of june is not exactly a notable phenomenon lady cecil agreed to the barrister's statement with regard to the weather and then went on to say that town was not so full as it had been and this is again not exactly a phenomenon in the last week of june i don't know about that lady cecil replied mr o boyneville if you'd been in the court of common pleas this morning you'd not have thought london empty and then there was a pause for the barrister being more accustomed to browbeat and terrify the fair sex than to make small talk for their amusement found himself brought to a standstill and cecil did not like her aunt's guest well enough to make any desperate conversational plunge he sat looking at her in silence not with the bold stare of admiration with which he was wont to take a feminine witness off her guard 
before entrapping her into prevarication or perjury but with a more earnest gaze than he had ever fixed on any woman's face before she reminds me of my mother he thought and yet it's only a pale shadow i can remember when i think of my mother i was such a child when she died lady cecil glanced at her aunt's new acquaintance as he sat opposite to her he was quite different from any one she ever had seen before and to her eyes so accustomed to look upon the graceful perfection the harmonious elegance of high-bred youth there was something almost uncivilized in his aspect he wore the high shirt-collars in which she had seen him at the doctor's ball the tight-fitting dress-coat of a departed age a rusty black cravat and boots of dubious symmetry his brown hair was thick and long but the massive head had something leonine in its character the aquiline nose and large bright blue eyes had that stamp of power which is so near akin to beauty that brief contemplation of lawrence o'bourneville awakened cecil chudley to the consciousness that the dreadful man to whom she so much objected was not quite the kind of person to be despised i dare say he is clever in his own way she thought but what could have induced my aunt to ask him to dinner she was spared the trouble of finding some new subject wherewith to bridge the gulf of silence yawning so blankly between her and the barrister for the all-accomplished cowkeeper announced mr and miss crawford and wherever flo went she put to flight the dull horror of silence the crawfords had been invited to please lady cecil and because mr crawford is a nice sort of person to have you know my dear the dowager said to one of her confidants for there is such a rage about these painter people just now and i assure you his place at kensington is a perfect palace with marble pillars in the hall and old stained-glass windows and carved oak panels that he has picked up at antwerp and i hear the prices he gets for his pictures are something fabulous but he's the dearest unaffected creature you ever met and if you like to come on wednesday night between nine and ten you shall see him flo greeted her dearest cecil with enthusiasm and saluted mr o'boyneville with the faintest indication of a curtsy as she swept her silken skirts past him and then when she had shaken hands with her dearest friend she turned to look at the barrister with a charming insolent little look which seemed to express and what outlandish creature are you i wonder of course mr crawford knew the great q c almost every male inhabitant of london was familiar with that ponderous figure and defiant face few were the dwellers in the mighty city who had not seen those big white hands waved in the face of an opponent or lifted in the denunciatory periods of virtuous indignation the painter began to talk to the barrister and in a moment the great lawrence was at his ease he knew how to talk with men and there was no question within the regions of heaven or earth too mighty for his audacity too small for his powers of argument he would have talked to herschel about the last discovery in the starry system and it is ten to one but in a mixed company he would have made herschel look foolish he would have demonstrated before the face of newton that his theory of gravitation was a false one he would have offered for mr paul bedford's consideration new views upon the subject of jolly nose or if a question of tailoring had arisen in an assembly of tailors he would have proved to the satisfaction of the company that he alone amongst them all had fully mastered the science of cutting out a coat was it not his business to know everything or to seem to know everything if any mad-brained counsel on the opposite side had been pleased to set a flute or recorder before him 
would it not have been his duty to play a tune thereupon for the edification of the court there was no subject that he had not been called upon to handle in the course of his legal career he had pleaded the cause of a musician whose copyright in a ballad had been assailed on the ground of plagiarism and ignorant of a note of music had talked the jury into idiocy with a farrago of sounding nonsense such as the syncopated passage in the second bar of my client's composition gentlemen is said to resemble the third bar of mozart's sonata in c minor but to any one who is familiar with the first principles of harmony gentlemen the introduction of the supertonic in place of the subdominant must be a convincing proof of the falsehood of this assertion and if anything were required to demonstrate the puerility of the argument adopted by my learned friend on the other side it would be the group of semi-quavers which concludes the phrase he had carried a french milliner triumphantly through all the intricacies of an action against an aristocratic customer for the recovery of a disputed account and had demonstrated with crushing force the meanness of the lady defendant and the honesty of his client's charges to the lookers-on from the outer world his triumphs may have appeared easy it seemed as if he had only to elevate his voice with a certain emphasis and to look round the court with a certain self-assured smile and lo his audience rejoiced and were merry the great question at issue gentlemen of the jury is the question of trimmings laughter you have all of you heard no doubt of a leg of mutton and trimmings renewed laughter but the trimmings in question are of far greater value than the turnips of a cincinnatus or the potatoes of a raleigh the question in point gentlemen if i may venture upon that play of words which the great samuel johnson held in such detestation is a question of point the point lace flounce for which my client charges one hundred and thirty nine pounds fourteen and sixpence was i am told one of the rarest specimens of the workmanship of the beguines of flanders and who and what are these beguines gentlemen of the jury by whose patient fingers this delicate fabric was manufactured were they common work women to be recompensed at a common rate no gentlemen of the jury they were ladies ladies of honourable lineage and independent means who of their own free will retired into a beguinage a religious house which was yet not a convent and there free from the bondage of any formal vow they devoted themselves to the consolation of the poor and afflicted and the manufacture of that rare old lace which is now the proudest boast of our female aristocracy why gentlemen the price demanded by my client is somewhat pitiful when we remember the circumstances under which that point lace was made the taper fingers that have toiled to fashion those intricate arabesques the solitary tears that have bedewed the fairy fabric and here it may be the great oboinville himself produced a palpable tear on the end of his finger and gazed at it for a moment in absence of mind as wondering what it was or seemed so to gaze while in reality his piercing eyes shot towards the jury to see whether they were laughing at him or whether his rhodomontade had told this was the man who had found himself so ill at ease in the society of one beautiful woman the dowager appeared presently oh you two punctual people exclaimed the lively mrs mcclaver house you come to see an old woman who lives in lodgings and i dare say you expect everything as well reglay as if you were going to dine at mr horborough's palace in park lane how do you do florence my dear how do you do crawford so you and mr o boinville are old friends that's very nice but i hope you're not going to talk about texture and modelling all the evening do you know we had a couple of musical celebrities once at one of the general's dinners in portland place and they talked about harmony and composition all dinner-time and as they sat on opposite sides of the table it was so agreeable for the rest of the company do you know what that fellow simpkins will do says brown why he'll use consecutive fifths 
he's got them more than once in that last sonata of his god bless my soul cried smith i never thought much of him but i did not suppose he was capable of that and that's the way they went on the whole evening so you dear crawford tell us as many nice stories about your artist friends as you can about their having their furniture seized by sheriff's officers and taking their pig pictures wet to that stupid pawnbroker who rubs out a pig with his thumb and dying in sponging houses and stabbing their models in order to get the proper contraction of the muscles but please don't be technical the indian notability made his appearance presently with a very stately wife in brown velvet and carbuncles a costume which flo declared reminded her of haunch of mutton and currant jelly to mr o boinville's escort this stately matron was entrusted an elegant young belgian diplomatist who spoke very little english took charge of florence while mr crawford devoted himself to cecil and the judge of the sutter de Wants offered his arm to mrs mcclaverhouse whose brain was racked by doubts as to whether the salmon would go comfortably round or whether those two ninepenny lobsters ordered for the sauce were equal to the eighteenpenny one which she had rejected suspecting sinister motives lurking in the mind of the fishmonger who had recommended it the dinner a la russe is a splendid institution for the economical housekeeper and might on some occasions be called a dinner a la russe so artful are the manoeuvres by which half a dozen oyster patties or a few ounces of chicken and a handful of asparagus tops can be made to do duty for a course so inexpensive are the desserts which consist chiefly of fossilized conserves and uneatable bonbons and which are of so indestructible a nature that they will last a managing hostess as long as a chancery suit the dinner went off well mrs mcclaverhouse's little dinners were almost always successful in spite of those conflicting emotions which agitated the heart of the hostess the indian judge and the irish barrister talked shop and there was a very animated discussion of a great international law case the details of which had filled the columns of the times for the last three weeks a case in which masculine intelligence perceived a thrilling interest but which to the female mind appeared only a hopeless complication of politics and shipbuilding in so small a party the conversation was tolerably general mr crawford entered heartily into the shipbuilding case and only florence and the elegant young diplomatist were confidential chattering gaily in that exquisite language which seems to have been invented in the interests of coquetry the gentlemen came to the drawing-room very soon after the ladies had settled themselves in opposite corners florence and cecil on a cosy little sofa by the open window a sofa just large enough to accommodate their ample skirts the dowager and the judge's wife on easy chairs near a ground glass screen which concealed the empty grate florence had so much intelligence of a peculiarly confidential nature to impart to her friend that she looked almost coldly on the elegant young belgian when he presented himself before her it is very nice for a young lady whose french is undoubtedly parisian to discuss lamartine and de vigny hugo and chateaubriand and such other gallic luminaries whose works a young lady may discuss with an agreeable companion but florence crawford had made a conquest within the last week and was bright with all the radiance of a new triumph and unutterably eager to impart the tidings of her last success to cecil he has called on papa twice within the week dear said the animated flo in that confidential undertone which is the next thing to whispering and papa says it is the most absurd thing in the world to hear him ordering pictures he has asked papa to paint him too and when he was asked if he had any special idea of his own about the subject he said no but he wanted them to fit the recesses between the windows of his billiard-room at pevens hall he has a place called pevens hall somewhere in that dreadful north for he is rich 
a millions you know to ce qu'il y a de plus manchester his father and grandfather made all the money and he is to spend it i am sure he would never have made any for himself but papa has declined the unfortunate young man's commission fancy one of papa's cleopatras stinging herself to death between the windows of a manchester man's billiard-room there are men in manchester who know art thoroughly papa says and it is utterly absurd for a painter to turn up his nose at the patronage of traders for if you go into the galleries of those dear old sleepy towns in belgium you will find that the noblest works of your van eycks and hans what's his names were paid for by wealthy citizens and what a blessing the modern patrons don't insist on having themselves painted looking through cupboards or riding on horseback in the corner of a picture imagine a manchester man's head poking through a hole in the sky in mr millais veil of rest or peering out of the cupboard in a corner of mr frith's derby day however papa has declined to paint anything for mr labier so the unfortunate young man will have no excuse for calling on unorthodox occasions but he must be a very stupid person florence i cannot imagine your taking any interest in him nor can i imagine myself tolerating his society for half an hour if he were not what he is answered flo blithely don't i tell you that he is the rich mr labier even his name is horrible you see labier he might make it a little better by tacking on some aristocratic prenom vavasor labier or plantagenet labier or something of that kind might sound almost tolerable yes he is very stupid cecil but he seems rather a good young fellow he laughs good-naturedly when other people are laughing and he gets on wonderfully with my cockatoos there seems to be an instinctive kind of sympathy between him and cockatoos and they allow him to rumple their feathers and scratch their foreheads in the most amiable manner you know what a place the fountains is and how often i sit in the conservatory that leads to the painting-room or else just outside papa's bay-window so of course when mr labier came to talk about the pictures he lorded and hung about playing with the birds and sniffing at the flowers in that horrible fidgety manner peculiar to some young men until papa came out of the painting-room to tell me i had better go for a drive which meant that mr labier was to take his departure and i really think cecil that if i had not kept him at bay that unfortunate young man would have made me an offer that very morning after meeting me rather less than half a dozen times but florence you surely would never marry such a person for goodness sake cecil don't call him a person haven't i always told you that i meant to marry for money and don't i tell you that mr labier is preposterously rich i acknowledge that he is stupid and ignorant more manchester than manchester itself but are there not guardsmen with long pedigrees who are as boorish and ignorant as mr labier i am not like those absurd girls who look in the glass and fancy they are like the two beautiful miss gunnings and have only to show themselves in the park in order to captivate marquises and royal dukes and you would really marry for money florrie said cecil very sadly is there anything so well worth marrying for who was that stupid old legal person who said that knowledge is power why did he take bribes and sell public offices if he thought that depend upon it cecil that money is power and the only power worth wielding money is power and beauty and grace and fascination do you think anne of austria fell in love with plain george villiers no cecil she fell in love with the duke of buckingham and his white uncut velvet suit and his diamonds and the jewels he dropped among her maids of honour and all that pageantry and splendour around and about him was it of any use to reason with a young lady who talked like this miss crawford had enjoyed all those advantages of education which fall to the share of middle-class damsels of the present day and the possession of which a century ago would have made a young lady a phenomenon she spoke french perfectly she knew a little italian and had read the promessi sposi and could quote little bits of dante and petrarch 
she could read german and quote goethe and schiller on occasions she played beautifully and painted tolerably and waltzed exquisitely but of that moral education which some mothers and fathers bestow upon their children florence crawford was utterly destitute she had brought herself up and she prided herself on that high-bred heartlessness or affectation of heartlessness which seemed one of the most fashionable graces of her day she had founded herself as she fancied on the best models better to be becky sharp than amelia sedley she said and the world is full of beckys and amelias she could find a very tolerable excuse for herself and her companions the men complain that we are fast and mercenary that we talk slang and try to make rich marriages and there are articles about us in the fashionable newspapers just as if we were a new variety in animal creation on view in regent's park do they ever stop to consider who taught us to be what we are can the gentleman whose highest praise of a woman is to say that she is jolly and has no nonsense about her and sits square on her horse wonder very much if we cultivate the only accomplishments they admire cecil had often tried to remonstrate with her volatile friend and had as often found her efforts utterly thrown away so to-night she allowed flo to devote herself to the belgian attache and abandoned herself to her own thoughts only making a little pretence of joining in the conversation now and then sometimes while she listlessly turned the leaves of an album whose every leaf she knew by heart lady cecil glanced upward to the angle of the mantelpiece by which lawrence o'boyneville stood in conversation with the judge and the painter for however charming the society of lovely and accomplished women may be men have an attraction for one another in comparison with which all feminine witchery is weak and futile looking at the little group by the chimney-piece cecil saw that the barrister had by far the largest share in the conversation he was very animated and those large white hands which were so eminently useful to him in court were considerably employed to illustrate his discourse that he was talking well she could see in the attentive faces of his listeners for indian judges and popular painters do not listen with any show of interest to a man who talks nonsense lady cecil began to think that after all there must be something a little out of the common in this dreadful man the evening came to a close presently and as he bent over cecil to say good-night mr o'boyneville's manner was very much out of the common i've been talking to your aunt lady cecil he said and she tells me you leave town early next week i've asked permission to call on you to-morrow and mrs macclaver house has given it so it is not good-bye you see but au revoir this was about the coolest speech which cecil chubb had ever had addressed to her she looked at mr o'boyneville with an expression of unmitigated astonishment but he gave her hand a grip that wounded the slender fingers with the rings which adorned them and departed i've three hours to work to get through before i go to bed to-night he said as he went downstairs with the painter and his daughter and so he had the first hansom that he encountered conveyed him to that sepulchral mansion in brunswick square which he had chosen for his habitation not because he particularly liked brunswick square but because it was necessary for him to live somewhere he let himself into the gaunt stone hall with his latch-key and walked straight to the library at the back of this spacious mansion a gloomy chamber lined with law-books and provided with that species of furniture which may be seen exhibited by the merchants of queen street lincoln's inn fields this dismal apartment was the retreat in which mr o'boyneville spent the greater part of his home life he very frequently took his dinner on the library table with his plate surrounded by papers and an open brief propped up against his decanter of manzanilla to-night he found the red bag which his clerk had brought from the temple waiting for him on the table he did not open it quite at once he did not pounce upon its contents as he had been wont to do 
he sat for some minutes leaning back in his chair with a smile upon his face a dreamy smile which was new to that eager resolute countenance so well known to the legal world for its hawk-like glances and insolent defiance my own sweet darling he thought and i shall have a wife and a home good heavens how many years of my life have i spent without ever dreaming of any such happiness and now now i wonder that i could have lived so long as i have i wonder that i could have lived without her and then after abandoning himself a little longer to this delicious reverie he roused himself with an effort and opened his bag but as he took out the first handful of papers he exclaimed with a sigh and yet god knows i wish i had never seen her i went on so well before and my mind was free for my work and now he began to read and in five minutes time was as deeply absorbed in his papers as if no person such as cecil chudley had existed and yet he loved her with that foolish and unreasoning passion called love at sight with that love which coming for the first time to a man of his age comes as surely for the last End of chapter eight